searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. What's up, everybody? It's Mike. We're back on the Pitch Please podcast. Today, we've got Marley. Marley is from Racks, a peer-to-peer wardrobe rental platform. That's my pitch. Hers is going to be a lot better. But before we talk about Racks, we're going to talk about Marley. Marley, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I'm Marley. I'm the founder of Rax. And my background, I've always really been into startups and entrepreneurship. Even in like university, I was teaching assistant for a digital marketing course where students actually had to create their own business on Shopify. And the prof gave them like, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars to get started. And I was kind of helping these students like, build real businesses and see their real sales come through and like how they found kind of a gap in the market and created a whole business on it. And that kind of led for me getting recommended to consult with like startups in the Kingston area because I went to Queens. And then once I graduated, I went into advertising and developed ad strategies for some of the world's biggest brands. Then went to EY where I had kind of a variety of roles in the marketing team. Ultimately led to me leading go-to-market for Ontario, which was a great opportunity. But then obviously, you know, EY is a huge company and I was really falling in love with startups. So I transferred over to Bell Curve, which is a growth agency for startups, and we help startups grow. So really great because it just helps with rocks as well because I see how to build like other brands. But I'm just building other people's companies, and I really want to do it for myself, and that's what led to me starting Rocks. That's cool. I, I want to go back to the beginning there. So you were kind of a, a teaching assistant for an entrepreneurship class, um, but you said you have always loved startups. So where did the moment for startups started? Is there something earlier in your life where you're like, I love working with or I want to be an entrepreneur someday? And and if so, what kind of sparked that? Yeah, I think I've always, even as a kid, I was always just doing random like entrepreneurial things. Like I remember just obviously the normal kid that has like lemonade stands and all those like random endeavors. I would not help people's doors. Can I babysit your kids? And I probably wasn't even old enough to do that. They were probably like, no, but I just always wanted to like, make my own money and do creative things around it and then definitely like university even high school years like I was listening to every podcast on entrepreneurship really reading every book doing all the business courses like it was kind of always in the back of my mind but I just never had my own idea what was like the craziest entrepreneurial type thing you'd done so you were knocking on doors asking to babysit kids what was sort of like the craziest one I feel like I always have ideas and then they just never really go anywhere. Like I remember when I was like nine years old, I was talking to my dad how I wanted to like start a random factory <laughs> and just creating some sort of product and then bring in people who are less fortunate to like work at the factories. Like I always kind of had like a business slash sustainability slash like ethical angle to all my business that I wanted to even at a young age. And my dad was like, do it. And I'm like, I'm nine. Like I don't know how to do that. But I always had the support of my like family, all my crazy ideas that I wanted to do that just never saw the light of day. <laughs> you know what? I, I think it's about a, a lot of people that start businesses have all these ideas. And I think a mindset, right? You're thinking through different challenges you yeah. see in the world around you. And it's the obsession with eventually solving one of them when you feel like the idea meets a passion, meets an opportunity. 
So I, I think that's pretty cool that you've always been that way. Is there anyone that inspired that or someone you looked up to, either fa friend, family, someone like external to your life? I've always just loved finding out how people start companies. Like I've always been really fascinated with that. Like how did these big companies start? And I think back in the day, there almost wasn't like, it wasn't brought to life. Like these huge companies, like you don't know who kind of started it or who stood behind them, right? It was like, I don't know who started EY or like who started all these big companies. But I think in the age now, like social media and like podcasts, you get to lift the curtain behind who's actually running the brand. So I've always really looked up to those people and companies that have created love products or brands and categories where there wasn't really anything so for instance like fable for like homeware like dinnerware they created like trendy plates and stuff whereas before people would just buy plates from like ikea or whatever right like there wasn't a brand that you were like oh this is like a cool plate or like blue land for house cleaners they made like sustainable house cleaners and make packaging all cute whereas before you just get like dawn soap or something right so i really appreciate and like looked up to brands that kind of are able to create these cool brands and kind of legacy industries that haven't been innovated on or no one really resonates with a brand in that category. Yeah. So you named a few there. Is there like a brand right now in this current present moment? This is very interesting to me either because of relatability with the founder, relatability with what they're doing as a company, something that's just iconic and interesting to you. Is there something that sort of stands out right now? I like companies that are started from their own pain points. So I think that's where kind of the best companies start. So like they've experienced their own pain point and they're like, there is no solution to this. Like I think that's where the beauty of entrepreneurship starts because you're not creating a company just to start something. You're creating a company because you've actually felt that pain point and you're much more bought in to it. So yesterday I was listening to a podcast on Poppy, the soda company. She started because she had like health problems, was on mat leave, so she wasn't really working and was taking like apple cider vinegar because I don't know, her like gut problems said that that would solve it and it obviously tasted so bad so she's like we should put this into something people are already drinking create a cool brand around it and she started poppy and kind of innovated on the category of sodas which haven't been touched in you know so long and made them healthy with only two grams of sugar whereas traditional like coke and pepsi i don't even want to know how many grams of sugar in that but she had her own pain point really grassroots would just go to farmer's market with just a can not even a can like a mason jar of her product made in her kitchen like someone just luckily from Whole Foods was there and was like I don't normally do this but like you need to get your products from Whole Foods went on Shark Tank and then one of the sharks there were like some big guy in the uh, beverage industry and he's like I've been looking for something like this like just slept all throughout and really grassroots started from a problem and I that's just a recent example because I listened to podcasts on yesterday but yeah I love kind of businesses that start from their own pain point and then just really grassroots grow from the ground up. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of interesting things you were touching on there too, right? Which is like this journey of entrepreneurship and this mentality of keeping pushing because you don't know where and when the break is going to happen and you can't fully predict it. All you can do is be working really hard and solving a real problem. And at some point, the problem and the opportunity might meet. Now, you said you listen to a lot of podcasts that are favorite you've got right now or a favorite few that you listen to. And, and why do you kind of listen to those? I like yours. <laughs> I like how I built this as well with Guy Raz. Um, he introduced really interesting founders and even like just CEOs of, of big companies as well. The one I was listening to yesterday was Female Founders World. So she introduced like female founders. So those are probably my top two right now just for entrepreneurship. 
best. Nice. So sort of just getting in the right headspace around entrepreneurship and and hearing other people's stories. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just always fascinated of how companies start. So yeah. It's funny. It's basically why I started this. I just love, I could watch, you know, Shark Tank or Mm -hmm. Dragon's Den all day. Although it's, you know, obviously the show and there's some drama around it, but I'm like, I could just listen to people's ideas and stories all day. And there's not a lot that are Shark Tank is, but there's not a lot that are like consistently just talking to Canadian founders. No. So that's sort of where I was like, I just want to hear what's up in in Canada. People don't give it maybe as much of a spotlight. And so the purpose of this is just hear what people are up to. Small, big. I just got an idea and I haven't even started yet to, to people that are making it already well on their way. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, your background. So you've got some skills in consulting and and marketing, and right now you're working with other startups. What's that sort of experience? What's sort of the work that you do? And maybe how do you feel like that's helping you with starting your own startup now called Rax? Yeah. So we get startups in. Normally they're kind of like series A or pre-seed, no matter if raised a couple million in funding, and they're looking to build out like Maybe they're still at the idea stage and they just received money. So we help them from like ground up on their website. Like, what is your messaging saying? Who are you targeting? Like, what are your personas? We do a lot of like competitor and market research on like, how can you have a unique position in this category? What's the future consumer likely to buy into? Because we don't want to just do it for that time and moment. We want to look to like kind of trends in the market and trends with consumers and how you can fit your brand around maybe a cultural thing going on in the market or like something trendy. So build out their whole like go to market plan. And then we actually execute on it as well. So our sister company is Demand Curve and they have a network of like almost 100,000 found. You're, you know, That's it's clever. Bell Curve, Demand Curve. Curve. I like yeah. it. So Demand Curve has a network of like almost 100,000 founders and marketers just through like their newsletter that they built up and like connections in the space. They run like events and stuff. So we pull from like that network as well freelancers so these startups are able to hire a bunch of different areas really cost effectively versus hiring like one full-time person in all these areas like you have a team of strategists velcrovis that kind of lead these freelancers so everyone's like connected know what's going on because when i used to work in a different agency i think people tend to work in silos and you don't always get like the data and the learnings from the different teams so work as like strategists to build companies from the ground up or maybe there are companies that have been running for like 20 years and they're just hitting a growth plateau and they need some fresh new like ideas so it really depends on the startup but back to your question how it's told with racks like i get to see exactly what pain points these companies are facing how they solve it even from writing articles or how to write the best email different ways like your website can convert better like i really get to see all areas of growth stickly even from the product side we help with how to grow your or make your product better how to hire the best people so i really get to see across anything that a company does. So apply. Feels, feels super relevant to what you're up to right now. What would you say is sort of like your biggest takeaway? So like you obviously get to see a whole bunch of this. So you get the benefit of being able to implement it with what you're building, but you also see a whole bunch of other startups. What do you think is the most useful piece of advice or guidance that you're sharing with others or working on that you're taking into your own startup right now? That is a good question. I think my biggest takeaway is that I think you think that everyone at companies know what's going on and how to like solve it. Even like at EY, it's a huge company. Like everyone is so skilled and knows what's going on and they are, but also people are making things up as they go along. And, you know, they get, especially startups, they get hit with different things every single day. 
And I think a lot of people don't start up because they just can't, they don't know how. But a lot of times just taking that next step. If you look at the whole big picture and all the billion things you need to do, like it's really overwhelming and it just throws people off. But I think my biggest takeaway is just focus on one thing and just the next thing you have to do. And that's all that really matters. And you could be more focused versus doing a billion things, feeling overwhelmed and then not getting anything done. And no one really knows. Everyone's just making things up, right? Like you, you just do the best you can. And I think that's probably my biggest takeaway from working with startups is just the ability yeah. to be dynamic and just do what comes at you. Just keep iterating. And I think the one thing you were talking about there that I think we talked about on a previous podcast, someone else brought this similar theme up, mm -hmm. but it's just focus on putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. If you're feeling overwhelmed about all the things you have to do or that you don't know how to solve, just focus on like the immediate one foot in front of the other. It's those baby steps that are going to get you there. So really good advice. So I want to talk about racks a bit. We're going to get to your pitch in a second. But before we do, what inspired you to start racks? Was this similar to what you talked about earlier, a pain point for you that you just couldn't let go? Maybe talk about like the origin story of what inspired racks before we talk about it. Yeah, definitely came from my own pain point. I'm on stage where all my friends are trying to get married, which is very scary. <laughs> So I was just buying a dress for a ton of different weddings or like formal events, obviously wearing them once because you get a picture of them or like trends go in style so quickly. So I thought there must be somewhere I can rent dresses. And I knew there were like brick and mortar locations. You could go in, try them on, but the inventory, the sizing is kind of lacking. The trends are outdated. And I felt like I rented kind of everything I wanted to rent from there. So I looked at Poshmark and like maybe buying some nice used dresses that people wore once. They were just expensive and I was like, I don't want to wear it and just have it sit in my closet. So then I thought there must be something like Poshmark, like peer-to-peer -peer resale, but peer-to-peer -peer rental where people buy these gorgeous dresses, wear them once in their closet for 364 days of the year. Maybe they wear one day of the year, if that, probably not. And thought like they should be monetizing these dresses that are just sitting there. And then on the flip side, there's a whole bunch of people that will want to borrow them, tour them once. So that kind of led me to researching like competitors, the market, future consumers likely to buy into a service like this, uh, market trends and everything pointed towards yes. At the time, there wasn't any like one really doing it in Canada. There might have been a few small startups with like very limited inventory. That's where they're at. Whereas global competitor market, like pretty built out in the UK and the US just because they tend to be a bit further along than Canada. But yeah, it really came from my own pain point that I wanted to solve. Was there like a specific day that was the breaking point where you're like, okay, I really need to look into this? What was that moment? Because you, it clearly was like in the back of your mind, but yeah. something was the trigger. So what was the day? Whose wedding was the trigger? Yeah. The starting of Rex. It, it was my boyfriend's sister's wedding. That's when I had the first idea. And then I was just obsessed. I literally could barely sleep for weeks, just like researching, talking to everyone that I know. Like, would you use something like this? Have you heard of this? Would you rent out your clothes? Because there is still stigma around thrifting or secondhand. It's definitely a lot like trendier now. Like there, there's definitely been like a, a shift towards um, buying used clothes and going thrifting. So kind of the mindset, whereas if it started maybe five years ago, it wouldn't have been. So everything just pointed towards like, I need to start this. I knew I just be thinking about it for the rest of my life if I didn't, or I'd see someone else start it and they'd be like, ah, oh, I should have done it. <laughs> yeah, that that happens far too often. How many times does that happen on all of your other ideas? Yeah, I mean, like, this was the one. No, <laughs> but maybe a couple. <laughs> this is the one that wasn't going to get away. We're going to give you a moment to give your pitch, and then I want to learn a whole bunch more about Rex. Mm -hmm. But Marley, you're on pitch, please. So, your pitch, please. 
Yes. I have so many different versions of it. I feel like I've iterated a hundred times. So I'll do the, the quickest to the point one because I feel like I'm enabling. So Rax is Canada's peer-to-peer wardrobe rental app. So you can lend down your closet and monetize items in your wardrobe. And then on the flip side, people can borrow these items for you and save up to 90% on fashion. That's amazing. Super simple. I love it. I now can probably repeat what you do, which is always my litmus test for a good pitch. Let's talk about the industry. You started mentioning a little bit about it before. What is in this used rental market? Tell us a little bit about who are, you don't even have to name them, but competitors, the Canadian eco space, other markets, brick and mortar. Educate us a little bit for anyone that's new to fashion purchasing, peer-to-peer platforms, that type of thing. Yeah. So the rental market in Canada really is still relatively new. Like I mentioned, like there's a few smaller competitors, but they really don't have a ton of inventory or like high quality inventory. I think they're still at like the early stage, but it definitely is a newer thing. So not only do you have to educate on what wraps is, for instance, but also what on the category is and how it works. So it's a little bit more difficult because you're not only promoting like racks, you have to promote what it is and how it works and all those hard things. But it's also an opportunity because people don't know what it is. So you get to capture those first users and have loyal to brand because there really aren't any competitors they can go to but globally it really started i think out of the uk um probably in like 2019 i know there are people that tried to do it beforehand and there's things like run the runway which i'm sure we're all familiar with started in like around 2010 um and what they do is they own all the inventory so they purchase um a bunch of fashion house in the warehouse do all the dry cleaning i know run the runway is actually the largest dry cleaner in the U.S. just from their own wow. like, rental, which is funny. Um, so that was kind of the craze around subscription boxes, too, in the 2010, 2012s era of getting clothes mailed to you, shipping it back. Definitely was starting 10 plus years ago. But then peer-to-peer came out where people were like, it's really hard for these companies to get to profitability. Like, run the runway, I don't think even is profitable still because they have such high costs dry cleaning and warehousing and buying new inventory and if something happens to their inventory and just styles go outdated and they have to get rid of the items buy new ones so i think companies are starting to think like people have us in their own wardrobe that's some inventory that like rent the runways have but it's just sitting there how can they just be the platform which is super low cost really if you really want to like your only cost is the tech keeping that running and obviously some like customer service and stuff like that and marketing but it's really low cost and then people saw that People aren't so attached to their items anymore. They're looking for more so like access to ownership. We've seen it with the Airbnbs, the Ubers of the world, disrupting these legacy industries, the Canadian and global fashion rental market, but just the fashion industry as a whole. I think we all know how bad it is, but it's not good for the environment or ethically. But I think people don't know just how bad and how things need to change and brands are being forced to change. So brands are also getting into resale or rental either it's like buyback programs where they buy your your old items from the brand that you bought or they're starting exclusive lines with companies like racks to rent out their inventory so it's definitely growing but still at the early stages which is a good opportunity but also hard for marketing and user acquisition because you're still teaching the market yeah you've got a little bit of education but you do have a little bit of a first mover advantage now tell us about who racks is for you've mentioned dresses a few times right. was this mostly for females males is it mostly dresses is it full wardrobes what's sort of like the range of what you're addressing or 
maybe your bullseye for what Rax is offering. Yeah, I think when I first started, I wanted it to be like be for everyone. I wanted like children's clothes because children grow up so quickly and moms can start monetizing like their babies' wardrobes. Like the zero three months where it's, they can't wear it again after that. I wanted it to be for like maternity wear. So things you're only going to need for a few months and men and women's dresses. But I think that was just a lot at once. And everyone's advice to me was just to focus on one key area. So I did launch just focusing on like the women's dress rental market. So our typical consumers like that 16 to 35 year old who might be renting a dress for prom or the beauty box is also we're not only focused on luxury rentals, whereas local competitors are. So they'll maybe rent out like a $600 dress for like $100, whereas we also see the value in renting like beautiful $70 dress and maybe rent it for like $5 because $100 is still a lot for someone to rent, right? So it's also for that woman going through university. She's renting going out clothes to wear or wedding guest dress. Like I've rented for weddings or even brides that have rented. So it's nice for people um, throughout all stages of their life. Um, Relates for anyone because we're really trying to democratize fashion no matter what size, how much money you have. Um, So it's the beauty of fashion rental is there's tons of inventory and you can see what it looks like on a real person versus on a model that you can't resonate with. Um, So really for anyone interested in fashion and sustainability. So is your dream is bigger in in scope. You do want to, over time, service a lot more categories. But to your point, get really focused on a very specific problem at first until you gain momentum. So you're focusing largely on dresses and gowns and kind of evening wear type things right now. I know we skipped over this and I think I know how you came up with it. But tell us about how you got to the name Racks. It really was just the first name that popped into my head. I know. That's something I always hear entrepreneurs talking about is like how difficult it was to come up with their name. They're doing like brainstorming sessions, like talking to everyone. And I was like, oh, it just came to me like the first name that I thought of. I knew I wanted something just through like working in startups, working with companies, like something super easy to spell. Like sometimes people don't think it's R-A-X. I think it might be like R-A-C-K-S. Yeah. And just for listeners, it's R-A-X. Yeah. R-A-X. I wanted something that was like easy to remember, short, one syllable, and then something that meant something. So racks to play on clothing racks. And then I actually Googled the meaning of R-A-X and it actually means to like give something to someone, which worked out really well. It's just ironic, like that just happened. It didn't be... really happen. And I was like, oh, perfect, this is the name. And then there was no company like named Racks, so it worked out really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really just the first name that came to me, which is so lucky. That's super cool and e- easy enough. Sometimes it's been a much longer journey for people, and I'm sure you're seeing it where you work now, but at, at Bell Curve. But the trickiness of coming up with a name, seeing who else has it, figuring out the spelling, finding a web domain, someone else has that web domain. So it sounds like you actually had a pretty easy go with this. Yeah. Oh, someone does have the Instagram handle racks, and I've been DMing them. Can I have it? But they haven't responded to me. So are, are they going to give it? Oh, they have just no response. They're waiting no. till you get massive. Then I was like, can I buy it? Yeah. Oh, boy. It's okay. Soon enough, they'll give in. They'll reply and they'll be like, free dresses for a year. And you're just going to be like, yeah, no problem. (laughs) Exactly. So tell us a little bit about how it works. So your peer-to-peer platform. Tell us a little bit about how that works. Where do people go? What is the kind of workflow of me listing a dress and someone renting a dress, that type of thing? So right now we're just mobile app based. We are building out a web based version as well, hopefully to launch in the new year. So that will come soon. 
We want to make it really simple because, like I mentioned, there is a lot of education needed for fashion rental. We want to make it three easy steps, easy to remember. You want to list your wardrobe, you just click the plus button at the bottom of the screen on the app. And then you fill out things like brand, size, color, um, like description, add your photos, how much you want to be rented for. You put in the value of the item and the app automatically suggests an 80% discount on that. You can change it around how you feel, but that's just most likely for your item to get rented. You can also choose to sell your item. You can only rent and sell, not just sell, because you want to keep the inventory high on the app. But if you also want to sell it, you can do that as well. Then you just choose the unavailability dates because maybe I'm listing a dress now, but I know I want to wear it in October for a wedding or whatever. So you can choose what dates it's available for, and then you just list it. And then on the flip side, for borrowers, they want to borrow items, just scroll through hundreds, hundreds of listings. We're getting up to 500 now. Um, so we have a ton of inventory, different sizes, colors. You can filter for what you're looking for. And then you can borrow. You can choose how long you want it for. So we give the lenders different timeframes how long they can rent it for. Four days, 10 days, 20, 30. It goes all the way up to six months. So if you want more trendy seasonal pieces that you only want for fall, for instance, like a fall jacket, you can rent it for three months, depending on how long the lender lets it list for. And, then and, and it, as a lender, you can cap how long yeah. is like your minimum and your maximum, like an Airbnb, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe you don't want someone to rent it in for like six months because you know you want to wear it. So maybe you'll just make the rental period like a month maximum. Um, so you get, get flexibility there. And then you just click on you want it for when you want it. So you choose your date and then you just pay and the lender will ship it out to you. Get it post their shipping partner. Um, or you can choose local pickup if you live nearby and then just meet up in a secure uh, local area for free so it just depends whereas a lot of our other competitors are only either or so they only do shipping which is expensive or they only do local pickup not everyone wants to meet up locally or they're too far so wanted to give people the option to do both yeah how does the shipping work actually can you explain that to us does the renter pay the shipping do you guys facilitate the shipping i, I imagine that was a big challenge for you to go figure out how, to, how that's going to work it is a challenge yeah so right now it's split between the lender and the borrower if the item's valued like over $50, because then the lender is fine to making like a little bit less and the borrower will pay as well. If the item's valued under $50 and the lender's not making enough like, for them to pay for shipping to make it worth it, the borrower just eats the cost. But we hope to get to the place where like we can offer a like standard shipping or eat the cost of some shipping. But for now, it's just split that way. But it's all done Got in it. the app using prepaid labels. So you don't even really like notice it. That'll just be like, that's the cost. And then the lender's earnings, that'll just be your earnings. It's not, you don't even really like think about it. So you want to make it super seamless for the users. That's amazing. So there's like a prepaid label. It adds the price to the checkout. Totally. And you just have to basically go drop it off with Canada Post or your nearest location. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. Super seamless. I imagine that was like, it sounds like it would be hard to manage the prepaid shipping workflow. I think we're talking ab about it as if it's super easy, but I wouldn't even know where to start. How did like you work through that? What was like, did you have that right from day zero of launch, this like prepaid shipping integration? And, and how did you go about getting that started? I did. Yeah. I just reached out to basically like every shipping provider in Canada to see their different rates. I know I want to go to Canada Post because they just have the most locations to make it easiest for people even in more remote areas. And then I was like, who's going to pay for what? And then I kind of had to crunch the numbers and what then. You know, people are earning and all that stuff. So, yeah. And then I was like, kind of do a cost average of shipping and to make it standard rate. That didn't make sense. If someone was shipping like 
Toronto to Toronto versus like Nova Scotia to like BC, right? Like, so it had to be a little bit flexible at first. And we can pull in all that data from Canada Post and like how long it actually takes to ship and like how much it is. So it's pretty easy to integrate with them. But yeah, maybe we'll iterate in the future to have more of a standard shipping rate. But for now, it's pretty easy just to pull in from Canada Post. And then, cool. So it's like real time API integrated directly yeah. into your app. Yeah. Amazing. Now we talked about Canada Post. Racks today available Canada wide, just in Ontario. Where Where is it available? Is your plan to always be just in Canada? Tell us a little, little bit about that. Yeah, it's available Canada wide. Most of our locations, like lenders and borrowers, are located in the GTA, but we do have people from all around Canada. Do want to expand, hopefully, to the US in the next year or so. We do, it is a marketplace, so it's a bit harder to expand because you do kind of have that chicken and egg problem. You need to have inventory, but you also have to have people borrowing for it to work, right? So it's not as easy to just expand. So I hope to expand the U.S. and then like UK and globally. But for now, we're just Canada-wide as we like, figure out all the kinks here and then take that blueprint and expand to different markets and localize it to different markets. That's super cool. And how long have you been working on Racks or how long have you been live? I guess actually may- maybe both of those since yeah. some people don't even understand how long before launch some of these things ha- have been in the works. So how long have you been working on Racks and how long have you been live and, and able to rent from Racks? Yeah, I first had the idea almost two years ago now, which is kind of crazy. Um, but so kind of like those first few months, just like researching, seeing if it was a viable idea, building out a full business plan. I don't think you necessarily need to do that. I don't think probably wasted too much time like being so into it. But once I kind of was sold on it, then the next step was to like do app development and figure out how to do that because I'm not technical at all. Like I mentioned, my background's in marketing, figuring out the whole app development thing. And then two people onboarded a lot goes behind the scenes in that and then officially launched in december so i've been live for i guess eight months now well congrats that i want to talk about that technical co-founder bit so you said you your background is in marketing and i i hear this problem commonly obviously there's a lot of tools out there that make it easier for almost anyone to to develop but you said you've got mobile apps and that was the core here the simplicity was really important and you found or you have a, a technical co-founder or technical individual on your team yeah can you tell us about like how you went about that search was this easy did you just stumble upon them were they a friend or what process did you go through to find your technical counterpart it was really difficult yeah when i first had the idea i'm like i need obviously to get someone on the tech side so i was looking for a co-founder i was joining like a ton of like co-founder matching sites like accelerator programs messaging like every developer on linkedin be like i have this idea like are you interested in you know, working alongside your current job, just like on this. Like, I really wanted to find someone that was passionate about like fashion, sustainability and startups and willing to grind and have that whole like startup lifestyle. I probably talked to, oh my gosh, I don't even know how many, like I, I message hundreds, of, maybe even thousands of people. Wow. And I probably talked to like 50 plus. Um, that was the first year and a half, just messaging people yeah, to find your technical co-founder. Yeah, everyone. I'm surprised I didn't get banned from LinkedIn. <laughs> But yeah, just messaging everyone. Couldn't find anyone that I really like, you know, vibe with. It's really like getting into a relationship with a co-founder. You have to really vibe with them and get along with them and make sure they have complementary skills to you. So I really couldn't find anyone. And I just spent months looking and I was like, okay, I'm going to just do this by myself. I hired like a no-code app agency because so, I wanted just an MVP to get it cheaply without having to do like a full coded app that would take like 
a year, super expensive. Like my biggest advice to founders too is just launch as quickly and as cheaply as possible because you don't want to be building something that people might not even want. So launch MVP, get customer feedback, and then iterate as quickly as you can and build a real product around that. Not real, in my case, a fully coded app. Um, so I did that, went through a few developers. I mean, there's a lot of horror stories in the developer world. I found out my developer wasn't working full-time, had a full-time job, was only working at night. So I had to get like two new ones to make up for that delay. There's always going to be something. And then I launched my like no-code app. And since my app is pretty huge, like we have thousands of users, hundreds of listings, like it's not meant for an app of that scale. It's meant for more of like, you know, a few buttons, a no-code app. So it's definitely a bit slow and laggy. So not the best user experience right now. And that kind of led me to ground zero again, where I had to look for a new co-founder or like CTO to really build out my code app. Now that I have users and feedback and I can actually build something that I know people want. Um, so that led me again to stalking people on LinkedIn, <laughs> going, joining every accelerator, co-founder matching site. And then I finally found someone that really saw the vision of rocks, thought it could be something big with into like sustainability and fashion as well, like really bought into the idea, has experience in like startups and strategy and fundraising and all those other things you kind of want in you know, an early stage person bringing on to your company. So right now where we're at is we're building up that coded app. So taking time, doing all the mood boards and wireframes and doing customer interviews to really build a product we know people will want. The MVP is still running in the background, obviously, and we're getting transactions and users, but now going to launch fully coded app with more features and a lot quicker and all that. But it definitely was a journey to find that technical person. There's, there's a whole bunch of things I want to dive in on. I love that advice that you gave and we glossed over it a little bit, but just get it out the door and get people using it. Like you're to the point where you've got thousands of people on the platform, hundreds of articles of clothing on your MVP, which shows that you can make money and build a sustainable business. You're like being self-critical. You're like, it's a little laggy, which maybe, maybe there's some lag, but that inconvenience is it quickly fades to the background when you have people that actually have a problem. And now when you go launch your final version, what platform did you use to do this like no code app? And you said you paid someone. I imagine everyone has the same question I do, which is like, okay, if I want to do this as a non-technical co-founder and sort of get out the gate, what platform would I use? And like, what's like a, a rough price range that I would expect to kind of pay to have someone help me build a no code app that I could get my MVP out the door? Yeah, so we used Dallo, which is a startup itself, so a lot of kinks on there. And I probably wouldn't recommend it for a really big app. Maybe if you have like a few screens or whatever, like it's fine. But there's other alternatives like Bubble, which is probably a lot better. And then in terms of price range, it really depends on your app and how much you want. I think I was still so stuck that I wanted so many features and I wanted my MVP to be the best. So many founders are at the beginning. And then you realize, okay, I should going to launch and I can't be spending all this money on all these things that I want. So I would say no code, depending on how big your your app is, anything from like $2,000 if it's something super lean and maybe just a few screens, all the way to like 30K, depending on if you want like fully built up app, like integrations, I had like a bunch of screens. And I will say like app development is like building at home. I never built a home, but they say it's three times more expensive. It takes three times as long. So just have that in your mind as well. But for reference for like a fully coded app, getting like React Native or JavaScript developers that could be anywhere from like 
minimum 30K to like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of millions. So it's definitely good to look into no code solutions for any kind of like tech that you're building at first. And then just get your MVP out there, launch, and then use the funds you make to build out a full app or whatever tech solution you have. That's great advice. So Adalo or, or Bubble, something like that. Give yourself a budget of maybe up to 30,000, but depending on how simple it is, you could maybe get away like sub 10K maybe yeah. to get rolling. And I think a piece that you talked about that's so important, everyone dreams of this perfect end state mm-hmm. app and they want that built until the price tag and the speed and all those things come up. How did you rationalize? Are you like, okay, I got to walk myself off the edge here a little bit. Yeah. Here's what I actually need to get started. What sort of process, was there like some process that you went to go through narrowing down the list? Yeah, I had a full like document of everything that I possibly wanted on the app, like a full, like what my dream state would be. And then I gave that to the developers and they were like, hey, it's going to take this amount of time and like this long and for this amount of money. And I was like, okay, no. Let me see what's actually what I actually need for this app to run. What's the least amount of things I need, and just like borrow flow, lending flow, like pretty much what you need to start. I want to have all these things like followers and following and comments and likes, and make it almost like a social platform and like just all the bells and whistles. So I scaled back all of that, and then just launched like what it actually needs to run, and then just have slowly been like adding on features and stuff. And I've heard that customers want versus just thinking they want. I don't even think they would have noticed like all these bells and whistles that I wanted to have upon launch because really just if the app works and there's not really any other competitive solutions, like they're going to use it, right? And now that you're going to like what will be V2 or maybe you're like V1.5, I, I yeah. don't know. But a lot of these features that were your, in your initial document, how many of those are you building into your V1.5 or V2 based on like your real user feedback right now? I think that's like a good like eyes wide open moment for people, which is you had your full list, you yeah. shortened it. Now you're doing a rebuild. How many of those features do you really need in, in V1.5 or V2? And what percentage are sort of making it forward? Honestly, probably only like 5%. We're still launching pretty lean, just on coded. So really the only difference will be like, the design and like the user experience, but the features will be similar. It'll just be a lot quicker, just more easy to understand too. That our biggest thing we want to work on is making it as easy as possible. But from the user standpoint, you're really just going to notice a quicker app with a few more features. But we have a full, just to launch that, just replace this no code app. And then we have a full product roadmap prioritized by like different priority of what we want to launch, which will take a year of all the things we want to do, but we're just rolling them out just like slowly. So also we can test like that one thing that we change versus having all the bells and whistles on the next one and then not being able to test like things properly. So really just want to launch like new features at a time to test how those go versus a ton and then wasting time on a full new version. Just want to launch something pretty lean to start, but a lot quicker and easier to understand. This is like such a, and I know we, we've been talking about this a bit, but it's such a valuable thing that I don't think enough people with ideas or even some founders get, which is get it out the door, get people using it, go a lot simpler. It doesn't have to be perfect. Don't trip up on trying to get to perfection because honestly, you'll lose out on the speed to market, which is one of the most important things and real user feedback because the road will change over time. So how does Rax, you've launched, you've got thousands of users, hundreds of items of clothing on there. 
Where does Racks make money uh, in the process of that workflow? Yeah, too much of the point. I totally agree. If you're not embarrassed by your first product, then you took too long to build it. So don't worry if you're a founder and you're just embarrassed of launching. You're your hardest critic and people probably won't even notice. But on how Racks makes money is we take 20% commission on each transaction. So the borrower just pays whatever the price is and the lender makes 80% of it for that commission-based model. Amazing. And so eight months in market, uh, year, year and a half of building before that, you've talked about some of the, the challenges along the way. What's been the most challenging thing you've had to overcome and any advice for others trying to break through? I think just product side. So the fact that I was owning it, leading like all the app development, all the tech side, being a marketer was a challenge and launching my no code solution, which was not what I thought it was going to be, like a bit laggy, slow, and not all the necessary features that I needed. It still breaks a ton because, like I mentioned, Gallo was a startup. So there's things every day that we need to fix more so than a coded app would be. So I think that's my biggest challenge is just being a solo founder at the beginning, trying to do everything on my own, trying to lead tech marketing and, and all of that. So definitely really happy that I have Matt, my CTO, on now to lead that, bring in this expertise that I can focus on being on the business versus working in the business because I think I got so tactical just checking things off my list and I don't always come up for error like big pictures and what we're trying to, to achieve so yeah probably the tech side of things was my biggest challenge and, and actually just on that what were like the top you you have your CTO Matt now what were like the top three things that you were using to gauge who or how you wanted to bring someone in as the technical part of your business? You did mention earlier a little bit around fit, but I imagine there was like some other variables that you were going through and you sort of did the dating world of finding your CTO. So what's like your tips, your pro tips for anyone else starting out? Fit was huge. I kind of had this funny thing where I said like if I couldn't grab a beer with someone, why don't I drink beer? A wine, a cocktail. With someone, then I didn't want to work with them because Matt and I talk every day. We're messaging all the time. We're jumping on calls. You really want it to be someone that like you get along with and I can grab a beer with. We can have fun and enjoy the journey of building this, not someone that I didn't get along with. Like they really say a co-founder, like bringing on like a CTO or someone at early stage, your first, first employee is like a marriage. So that was my one thing, like the beer test. And then someone that also had a passion for entrepreneurship and startups, like not every developer, every tech person wants to work at a startup. Like it is that grind lifestyle. Like I wanted someone that was okay with working all night, some days, or okay with working on a weekend. That is what running a startup is. So also that kind of grind. And then someone that was passionate about the idea, like someone that had passion for sustainability and like new ways of like new business models and iterating on legacy industries and fashion as well. So some of that actually believe that Rocks could succeed because if you're not passionate about what you're doing, it will never work. So those are my three main things I was looking in finding someone to bring on so early stage. So like actual relationship fit. Yeah. Someone that actually had the desire to be a part of a startup. And then the mm-hmm. third was someone that actually had passion for what you were trying to solve. And exactly. so you use those as your litmus test across all these people. Amazing. We talked about your hardest part. You're going to have, and I'm sure there's going to be many across the journey, but what's been like your most memorable or enjoyable story so far over your last kind of two years of building out racks that sort of stands out in your mind? Definitely I'm trying to get better at is just enjoying the journey. Like I think 
I really have reframed me to think like I get to work on this versus like I have to. Like it's exciting to be able to do this. And although sometimes it, it might suck working 15 hour days, it's also like enjoyable to have that journey. But I think the best part of it is just the stories I hear from users who got to borrow a dress they would have never been able to afford otherwise because people do list it for up to 90% off. So hearing those stories about how amazing like, you know, what you wear really affects your mood and how you present yourself to the world and your confidence. So hearing those stories around how people were able to wear their dream dress really makes it all worth it. Or on the flip side, how people were like, I would have never bought this item, but now that I know I can make money on it, like I can build out my wardrobe with these dream pieces all while doing sustainability and not contributing to to the fashion crisis and really innovating on the circular economy fashion and being one of the first to do it. I think that's my best part of working on Rock so far. I love it. So what's the um, sort of next six to 12 months ahead look like for you? You're building out like a next version yeah. of the tech platform, but tell us about the next six to 12 months of the journey for Rax. Yeah. So the next few months I'm hoping to launch Rax 1.0. Yeah. I think we're probably at 0.5 right now. <laughs> so kind of just like the main, I guess, like MVP now, I would say we're kind of like the prototype right now. So launching that in the next few months, hopefully in the winter time. And then I can really start on like marketing and kind of growing the app right now. It's just all been organic just because I don't want New Year's on this, but I do want them to have a good experience. So kind of waiting for this launch to really go into like all the fun marketing things that I want to do. Build out partnerships too. Like I'd love to have stylists and designers on it as well. Like people that are already kind of like building these things or styling people on their own, but allowing them to monetize it through racks as well. So kind of building out partnerships like that even with brands who might want to rent down pieces of their or like exclusive lines for racks. So yeah, looking into other creative ways we can get other brands involved and really just grow the company once we have the MVP. The, the actual version 1.0. Yeah. Don't beat yourself up too much. Keep going. You're doing great work. You have thousands of users and hundreds of items of clothing on your version 0.5. Great work. If people are looking to help either or get started where they want to rent or buy or lend or support the next six to 12 months of your journey, where should they go? What kind of support and help are you looking for over that next time period? Yeah, you can download the app on iOS or Android and search racks, and then you can list your items or borrow items. I guess the most helpful would just be any feedback you have on using the app. And then once we launch the new version, we'd love to run user tests and get all the feedback. I think that's one thing founders don't do enough is actually making time to talk to people and make sure everything you're doing is because someone told you they wanted it versus thinking they want it. But yeah, definitely just downloading using the app and then letting us know any feedback. That's amazing. So just Racks is all they have to look up in iOS or Android. If they want to go to the website, it's Racks app. And then on socials for rent underscore Racks because someone has the username. But I'm coming well, for now, now. Not, not forever. And we'll, we'll put all that in the show description. Marley, any kind of closing thoughts on your side as we sort of wrap up today or words of wisdom you want people to take out and take away as they dive into their own journey, depending where they're at? Yeah, I think if I were to myself in the shoes of someone like listening to a podcast, like I did when I was just thinking of an idea to have and just wondering how people got started, I think definitely just pay attention to the pain points that you face. And I think you've always been at a point really. You talk to your friends like, oh, we should do that. Right. And then it like never happens when you have that pain point. So I think just believing in yourself. Like I remember when I first started, I was like, why would I be the one to create 
a fashion rental company, right? Like I have no experience in app development, no experience in fashion or running a company. Like why would I be the one to start? But I think if everyone thought that way, then there'd be no new companies. What I've realized too is the big players think would get into it or so focused on what they're doing that they don't think to start these like innovative like companies, right? I think my one advice would be just focus on the next thing you have to do to start. Like I mentioned before, like if you think of the end point, me launching rocks, like that's too overwhelming. But if I just were to think about like, the next thing I have to do and break it up, like it's a lot easier to digest. And yeah, definitely if you have the passion for it, anyone can do it. So that'd be my advice. I love it. Don't overthink it. Take the leap. That was Marley from Racks, the peer-to-peer wardrobe rental platform. Marley, thanks for joining us today on the Pitch Please podcast. Listeners, I hope you had a blast. Catch us on the next episode and talk to you later. Thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Pitch Please podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch Please. (laughs) Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. Pitch Please, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.